Welcome to season two of They See American Life. I'm Deepthi. I'm Uma. I'm Priya. And I'm Radha from Single to Shabby. In today's episode, we talk to Radha, the founder of Single to Shabby, about the trials and tribulations that go with dating. We also actually have a discount code for her business, and you can mention They See American Life at Sign Up and get a free match. That is absolutely a good deal, and definitely check it out. So Radha, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, Single to Shadi? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Radha Patel. I'm based out of Dallas, Texas, and I've been married for about 11 years and have two fantastic kids. But along the way, I realized when talking to friends and family that dating nowadays has been completely relegated to apps. And I figured, what's a different way or different approach to take to it to help people find you know, dating to marriage as part of their goal. And I decided to create a matchmaking service, which is called Single to Shabby. Cool. Awesome. Why do you think apps aren't working out for people? What's your personal take on that? I think that you have this unlimited potential in the palm of your hand. So the idea being that, oh, I can meet, quote unquote, you know, 15, 20 people in the span of five minutes and just swipe around. If I like them, that's great. If I don't, I get them off my screen. And I think it gets people to that whole mentality of FOMO, right? Like, what else is out there? If I say yes to this girl, then who else am I missing out on? So it's handicapping daters in a way because they think that you can't make a decision. And I think that's mm-hmm. a fundamental issue that's happening with the apps right now. Right, like a choice paralysis. Exactly. That's interesting. I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about that. I feel like now at least we're more aware of it. I'm more aware of it. You know, grass is not always greener on the other side, you know, because that comes with experience. Right. And ultimately, you know, you're in it for a purpose. And if somebody helps you fulfill that purpose of marriage, family, whatever it is that you're looking for, then there's a part of it too that's a little bit of commitment phobia that goes along with that FOMO, right? So you have to be able to be secure in yourself and know when you're ready and then go try and find somebody who's in that same space. And the apps aren't always that space. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of people, some are from super liberal families, some are from conservative families who have certain criteria. So how do you balance the old world ideals that some of our parents have and like our American upbringing? So I think, and something that I've noticed too, is the iterations of dating in the South Asian culture. It started out with traditional matchmakers, families matching you. Then it moved into Shazi.com, which was like the first online portal that brought this world accessible to millions of people, if not billions over time. But the idea being that every time a new platform is introduced, it's so great, but then everybody hears about it and there's a subset of people who then want to break off because it no longer applies for them. So in this instance, you know, Shadi.com came out. It was great for people who wanted to get married in the Indian culture. But then we found that the diaspora, so people who grew up in America, people who grew up Mm -hmm. in Australia, that wasn't necessarily the connections they were looking for. So Mm -hmm. finally, Dilmil came out, right? You know, 
people started using some of the Caucasian apps and things, but then Bill Null was like, okay, here's something that we know that the Desi American population is looking for, something that you can narrow it down to people who were born and raised similarly to the way you were born and raised. But I think the problem with that now is because they're a publicly traded company, they're under a huge umbrella organization, and it just became such a big app now that I don't know if you ladies have been on it recently, but there's a lot of non-South Asians on there now. There's a lot of people who don't identify as being born and raised in America. So now the next generation of users are saying, okay, even Bill Mill is not where we want to be. And I think that I recognize a little bit of that concept of we want people who are born and raised in this culture. And that's kind of what I emphasize in Single to Shadi. It's the idea that we've got a little bit of that culture that we want to hold on to, but we interpret it differently by being born and raised in this country. Yeah. That's very interesting. I've definitely seen that on Bill Mill. It's like a full-time job when you're trying to look for a partner. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the perks that I say about my service. You know, you invest a lot of time in this search and it's a little bit frustrating and it's a lot of everybody's time is a commodity. So the idea being that if somebody else is going to do a lot of that vetting, that informational gathering, things like that up front, it's worth paying somebody to do that or outsourcing that tedious part of dating. So I also find that an issue with the the apps is that it's a little bit of a gamified approach to it. So it's the freemium model, it's free to join, but then if you wanna talk to somebody, you gotta pay. If you wanna double match or double click on somebody to give them a poke or whatever you have to pay. If you want to have more than three messages go back and forth, you have to pay. So the idea being is you've got all this information at your fingertips, which is wonderful, but how much are you willing to invest? And is it that breadcrumb methodology? It might be working for them as a company, but is it working for you as a user? And I don't think so. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I was on Shadi.com the other day and they have six types of subscriptions you can have. And I'm like, that's just too much. <laughs> like, why would I want to do so many different things? And then they obviously push for that. But yeah, I don't really get it. And I think I haven't paid for any apps because I just don't know if it's worth it, you know, to like do that extra step. So absolutely. Yeah. And the pricing, it's not that expensive. And I think that's how they get people hooked on it. But I agree. I think that more and more of the, the savvier users are not going to pay for that. And so then it's like, what's the point? Why be on this platform if people that I want to talk to are not accessible because I have to pay and then they're not also paying and it just doesn't work then. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've experienced personally is that when you're like on Charlie.com or Bars Matrimony, these big websites that have just a lot of information. You don't really know if that profile is being created by the parents or if that profile is being created by that person. You, you just never know. Even if it seems like it's created by that person, it could be like a super eager mom <laughs> trying to create a profile for her son who might not even be interested in getting married. So there's just cases like that that I've seen before. And that's why one of my tenants are founding principles of our our company is that we don't work with proxies because there is a lot of that a mommy's making this for her son or an auntie knows that her nephew in India is trying to come to America, things like that. And so I don't want to get involved in that kind of family dynamic or, and the ultimate idea being that my 
companies to empower single people in dating on the way they want to date. And so while we do believe that marriage is what you should be striving for in this is situation, not, it's not for everyone. I totally recognize that. But if you're dating for marriage, that's who we want to work for. Not everybody's in that space. And so when your parents are putting you out there on these platforms and trying to advocate on your behalf, you might not want that. And then a lot of it too is then let's say you're on, you create a profile on any of these big websites and you're serious. I don't want to be talking to my future husband's mom in the intro talks and initial talks, you know? So even if I'm willing to go the more traditional route, I still need to get to know the person I intend to marry. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why I don't think that these platforms are made for people who, you know, there's, there's some people out there who are like, it's up to my mom. It's my mom's decision. And that's great, but that's not necessarily the clientele that I'm catering to. So, well, going back to the relationship stuff, Radha, what do you think is important to keep in mind if you are dating with this intention of actually getting married? I think the biggest thing, and people often say this is settling, I don't consider it settling, but understanding what's really important to you as far as what your goals are in marriage. If you want to get married to start a family create a legacy, build wealth, you know, things like that. What is important for you? And then maybe the fact that he dropped his napkin at the floor during dinner, didn't pick it up, won't bother you as much. Or some of those little things, the nitpicky things, or you just realize what's more important to you with the idea being that marriage is your goal. A lot of people that I interview always say to me, you know, well, when I was younger, I wanted it to be X, Y, and Z. Now that I'm older and they don't finish that thought with, okay, now that I'm older, but it's because I know what's really important, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily settling. It's the idea that when you are at a point when you're ready to make a decision, what's more important? And that's what you go after when you're dating to get married. Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't want to discredit people who date to date, because that's what I did too. That, that's how you learn. That's how you figure out what you do like, what personality yeah. traits don't work for you, what kind of lifestyles you're looking for. It's all about building that experience. So that's why I differentiate between dating to date and dating to get married. Makes a lot of sense. And actually, when people ask me like what I'm looking for, I actually say I'm looking for both. Like I'm looking for people to date and I'm looking for somebody to get married because you don't know like who that like person's going to end up being and you don't know what's going to come out of that relationship. But I do know that that's something I want. So I kind of look for both, even though it sounds weird. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. that's kind of what I, you know, I could gauge when I interview my clients to see what their relationship styles or preferences are, because there are some people who are like, if I don't get married by the end of this year, my mom's going to make me go to India, right? That kind of stuff. And so when there is that urgency or an attention around it, that might be a little bit different than the person who is like you, Priya, dating to just understand, I, like, I want to get married, but it doesn't have to be this guy that you introduced me to. And so I appreciate, and I think that that's more of what our busy American, we're never going to get into a relationship saying that if this has to be the one, this has to be the guy I'm going to marry. But there are people out there that are like that. And I think that's why there's other platforms that are available for them versus what we're trying to do here at Single to Shabby. 
So uh, something interesting that you mentioned is like this urgency piece that some people have. And I've like seen that with some of my friends, like that year has come and gone and they're still single. They're still fine. And another thing that I've noticed from some of my guy friends, they vent to me, they're like, why are these girls so set on marriage over a text? Like, I don't know them yet. So how do people not bring that urgency piece while they're still getting to know a person. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is doing work on yourself. I think that taking that time to figure out what you like, what your preferences are, you know, a lot of our culture, we don't date, you know, and or we date when we get to college. And most people that are interviewed, they tell me that their first relationship was in college. It was over two years long and they were dead sure they were going to get married. And it was a shock when they broke up and they didn't get married. Because I think it's the idea that we've always been taught, there's no dating, you only get married. So the fact that you found somebody, you quote unquote fall in love, it's your first time ever, who knows what love really is at that point. But when it doesn't work out for whatever reason, right, your career choices bring you in different geographic locations, ethnicities or religious preferences might be different than what you thought that you wanted to marry. So whatever reason you break up, then they're devastated because they're like, oh my God, I was supposed to get married. How can I go back and say, I just dated somebody or had a physical relationship with somebody and I didn't end up in marriage. So once you get over that, you need to have that experience. I think everybody has to have that experience. And a lot of times I think the urgency comes in our culture when we don't have that experience and realize that it's okay. Life goes on. I can get over a failed relationship and learn from those experiences. That's the first part of it. And I also think the second part of it with that culture around the urgency for women, you have to get married, you have to start a family, you have to do this. This is, And I think girls or women, we take that pressure a little bit more seriously than men do. Because I'll tell you, my guy cousins, my husband himself, right? They've been told since they were kids too, get married, have a family, get married, have a family. But I think that the way our culture allows them to have more opportunities and if they want to study further they want to travel for go away from home longer, you know, they're able to do that. Guys just have that sense of empowerment more so than Women do because of the way our culture is raising us. And so as a mother of two children, I'm trying to be very, very conscious of a boy and a girl to raise both of them with the same ideas and the same opportunities because I'm trying to break that cycle. Again, being part of the where I'm growing up in this American life, I think it's a responsibility for me and, and people of my generation to change it so that you guys and the next generation behind you have every opportunity available regardless of what your gender or sex is. Yes, definitely um, agree with that. Dating is always like a very complicated, you know, in our generation, it's become this sort of game. It's not as straightforward or simple. When someone is starting to date someone to say a match through either you or through a dating app, how many dates would you recommend them going before they make a decision on like if they should pursue this further or not? There's no set number, I would say, but I'll give you an example. So my husband and I met one weekend in September and then he was traveling, he was a consultant at the time. So I would say within two weeks, he flew down to where I was and spent the weekend with me. And that's when we realized like, okay, this is gonna work, we can date, you know, we can be in a relationship. But because it was long distance from the beginning, it wasn't that traditional date idea. Every time we hung out, it was three, four days in a row. He pretty much stayed with me in my apartment from the first time we got together. 
So I think in that instance, our relationship just progressed so quickly that within three months, I had an opportunity to go back for a event at my college and he came as my date and my parents lived about an hour away. And, you know, like I was 25 years old. If I was anywhere, a hundred mile radius, my parents are like, you need to come home. He, he had rented the car and I was like, hey, do you mind? My parents are about an hour away. I'd love to just pop in for Chinas though, you know, just say hi. And my parents were real chill. They had met a lot of my guy friends and things over the years. Not necessarily like boyfriends, but same introducing like, this is my friend. He just came to this function as my date, things like that. But my grandmother was visiting from India and she thought like, this is it. This is the guy I was going to marry and this is our life. Like she was so excited. So much so that like when we left, like she, my grandmother gave my then boyfriend, right? Like some money and like did all like, like whatever. And then we get in the car, we're driving to the airport and we're just like, so this is getting married. Like what just happened? Right? <laughs> but then we kind of talked about it, you know, and we're like, yes, why not? We, we like each other. We're compatible. We're having fun together. We have the same kind of outlook and we've had that time. We've been talking about these big topics and things. I know it's only been three months, but we spent weekends together and long extended amount of time together. So we just knew it was right. So then about a month after that, he's flying down and that's when he proposed. So we'd only been together for about four months when he proposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things kind of moved. But that's because we were both in right. that place and we knew what we wanted. As far as in dating in this, in this day and age, I'm a firm believer in getting that first date done right away. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're able to, I know COVID is throwing up right now, but if you're close by and you're able to do it, meet within the first week of connecting and figuring out this is going to work for you. And it can be short, sweet, 15, 20 minutes, not a big deal, but that tells you a lot, a lot, a lot about that other person's, their, their body language, their, you know, are they on time? Were they flustered? Just get to know a little bit more about them that you're not going to get from a verbal exchange. That's going to give you a clue right away. If you don't think that the first date went well or is going well, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, I'm, I don't want to do this again, or I don't want to go on a second date, but have that conversation and be honest, be honest with yourself and be honest with that other person. You don't owe them anything except for, you know, mm-hmm. just, I'll talk to you later. And going off of this, I think you, this is great because I feel like everyone's just always talking about a timeline and they're putting like numbers to things, but maybe we should just focus on more of how we feel. It could be like three months. It could be like six months or a year. It doesn't really matter, right? In our dating culture, ghosting is like a big thing these days. So what would you say to that? What is like your advice on like alleviating ghosting? Like what would you tell your clients who are going on these dates and matches? I think ghosting is one of the worst things a person can do. And why I say that is because we're all human beings. We all deserve respect and we all deserve a little bit of common decency and courtesy. So if you spent a couple of days texting me, we made plans to meet in person, you know, it didn't work out. That's fine. Things don't have to work out. But if I'm still interested and I, you know, I text you, I'm like, Hey, would you want to meet again? Do you think again? And just to not respond, I think is extremely rude and it says a lot about your character everyone's busy i get it we're all busy that's like the buzzword and the time and the phrase but a simple thank you i wish you the best of luck just just end it it doesn't have to be a phone call it doesn't have to be anything formal but put some closure on it because if you believe in karma which i believe in karma a lot of eastern religions do it just 
what does it hurt? And you never know how that's going to come back to bite you in the ass later. And if you think about it in a selfish way that you should think of it that way. But how I work with clients is I coach them on that, right? If they tell me about that, things aren't working out. I'm just not interested. I don't want to move forward. I always give them the first option. Well, do you want to tell him yourself? If she doesn't, that's fine. You know, you're my client. I'm still going to make it work. That's where I step in and can provide that closure. But I do try to coach to it and say, you know, this was your opinion and this is how you felt about it. And there's nothing wrong with your opinion. You should feel comfortable in either expressing it to the other person and saying, this is why I don't want to move forward or just having that decency and closing things off. So I think ghosting is one of the worst, worst, worst things that our society has come into. A lot of my friends even say like, I'm not sure when to bring up the fact that I'm looking for like the end goal to be this right? Marriage, essentially. When is there like an appropriate time to talk about this? Absolutely. So I think that I didn't want to bring up the show, but I'll bring it up anyway. So um, there's in the show, the, the teacher, he meets a girl in person and they hit it off. He thought it was great. And then they go and they, since it was long distance, they would do FaceTime dates or Zoom dates. And I wouldn't say without a, about a week or two later into it, they ask questions about what are your future goals, your know, career, why this and that. And then you see that they, they were having like heated arguments over Zoom and they actually only physically met once in person. And that didn't work out, right? They never met again. And the idea being that even if you're not talking about marriage, we still have life goals, right? Career-wise, ambition. You know, I want to have a white picket fence and live in the suburbs and I want to go on a family vacation every year. So you can date to date but after you've established that compatibility, like, you know, in a couple of dates or maybe a month or two, you're like, yeah, I like this guy. We vibe very well. We get along very well. Like that, that part has been settled. You've got that compatibility. Then it is easy to, or, or, or a natural point to start talking about future goals. I don't necessarily say that it has to be marriage, but there's a lot of good kind of topics and questions and things you guys could talk about to kind of think about where you are. And you know, women, we think about things a million times. We've analyzed it every which way and that. So that by the time we ask the guy, we kind of know what answer we're looking for. And unfortunately, guys tend to be a little bit clueless around that stuff. So give him a little bit of grace, I would say. If he doesn't give you the right answer right away, let him think about it or continue to have that conversation. And if it's still not to the point where he's like, yeah, I see myself getting married in the next year and having a family, and that's what you want, then I think it's easier to hit the nail on the head and bring it up and say, well, listen, here's what I want to be. I want to be married in six months, but don't just jump right into it until you, you, there's other ways you can ask about it to see if you guys line up because let's say the first conversation was like, okay, do you want to get married? He's like, well, not right now. I don't know. Not maybe not with you, whatever. Right. But if you, instead you talk to him about what he's, plans our first career. Maybe he does want to go back to grad school and that's why he's waiting two years to get married. Things like that. There's, there's other ways of understanding what a person's goals are in life. And he might still be marriage minded, but his timeline is different. So instead of, I don't want to say that it's scaring somebody off by talking about marriage because sometimes guys are the other way. They're the first ones to talk about marriage. But I think feeling it out a little bit more is in, and maybe analyzing why you have that sense of urgency around the whole concept of the conversation that could be a better way of approaching it and then for my clients we discuss what their future goals are what marriage looks like what children look like just so i have a little bit of idea of that time frame when i'm introducing people because if you are in more of an urgent timeline then i might be able to match you up with somebody who 
fits your criteria in every other way and personality and all, um, but also is on a similar timeline. How would you say it's different from like what we'd consider like a traditional matchmaking service or like Simanti from Indian matchmaking or something like that? Yeah, I would say it's different because uh, traditional matchmakers, they charge a, a large onboarding fee mm-hmm. and they select their clients pretty selective, right? Based on what they think they can help out and who they can match. I did not want to take that approach because when I was starting, it was like, well, who's Rada? Like, why would we pay her thousands of dollars? She's no one, right? Um, and then the idea being that I was still kind of developing my network. I started this whole business idea because I had seven or eight friends and family who had approached me. Now, and the more and more I did research, I found that there are some of these kind of hybrid apps out there, like Talkify or Three Day Rule, that are really just matchmaking in app form. But I like that their strategy is much more of a everybody can use us, right? And that's where the app part of it comes in. We, you know, we don't selectively choose who's going to be on our platform. We use the matchmaking process to make sure you're getting fit with the right person. So I like that concept and why, how I interpret it is I interview and I'll take anybody who wants to be a client comes on board. We do mm-hmm. the in-depth interview. I will create your profile and I will have that in my database. I only will charge upon introductions so that it's a more approachable model. So younger people who might not necessarily have thousands of dollars to shell out, but are still serious about the process. This is an approachable form for them. It helps me grow my database. You know, I'm around 300 active users now. My goal is to get to a thousand by the end of 2021. So to get to that larger, broader base, I wanted it to be affordable and approachable for everyone. And I think that's the biggest distinction that I make between the traditional matchmaking and what I'm doing. And then also, that selectivity piece. Most traditional matchmakers, at least in the American or the Caucasian side, they only take men on as clients. There's, oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of um, old school ideas around it, and not necessarily sexist, but like gender-based ideas around it. And I also didn't want to take that approach because I think that in our culture, there is a little bit more of that urgency aspect or that pressure that comes on the females. And so I wanted to make sure that it was equal and open for everybody to kind of find their partner in the way that they wanted to. So yeah, those are the two biggest distinctions between traditional matchmaking and what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's great. I've actually used both three day rule and talkify. Like I wanted to try them out. So I didn't have like the best experience with them. Like, I don't want to say anything too negative, but I think for me, like they weren't as personalized because you were saying like, they're kind of like an app with like a little bit of that matchmaking component. And I just felt like I wasn't getting like that personal experience with the person who was assigned to me. And when I wanted to give feedback, like it wasn't really taken very well. So I personally have been like a little bit turned off by these kinds of things, but you know, I think in talking to you, like I've realized that you, know, you take a much more personal approach to it, which I Absolutely. appreciate. What kind of questions do you get into when you do that one-on-one interview with a client? Yeah, so I start, I think I shock everyone, all of my clients when I start out. I literally, I don't, I don't ask them about what they're looking for. First question I ask is to understand their upbringing. Where were you born and raised? What are your parents like? What about your siblings? How is your relationship with them? Because that's how I get an understanding of how on the they see American side they are versus, you know, like what, where on the spectrum do they feel that they fit? Because, you know, we're all unique just because we're Desi Americans doesn't mean we all have the same exact cookie cutter experience. It's so funny how quickly people just transition to 
well, I was raised this way, but I'm okay, or I'm open, or I'm, and I'm like, no, 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 stop. That's funny. I feel like, yeah. I feel like it's a, a, like a therapy session too at the same time. <laughs> We're getting two services. Just kidding. Yeah. And so uh, I, that happens a lot. I have such amazing clients. Sometimes, you know, I also get sucked in into tangents and we talk and an hour is up and I'm like, I have to go. I'm so sorry. I would love to talk to you forever. You, we should be friends outside of this kind of thing. <laughs> But the idea is that they, they're so used to always talking about, well, I'm looking for this and I'm open to that. And I, I break it down to, no, 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 no. I want to know about you first. So we go, we start off by talking about their upbringing and their background. Then I ask some of those demographic-y kind of filtery type questions, right? What is your dietary preference? What is your thoughts on, um, uh, I ask about pets. And this is another one that throws people off a lot. They're like, oh, I, I don't know. I've never thought about having pets or animals in the house. I go into those non-traditional questions that you don't necessarily get when you're always thinking about Indian American dating. Then I do start talking about partners, right? So we start with physical characteristics. And I know there was a lot of debate around people who are looking for, again, to reference the show, Slim Trim Fair. And while I don't necessarily ask those specific questions, I realized that, you know, preferences, why does your attractiveness profile differ from what you're looking for from an educational background or a religious background. You know, I think that it's easy to vilify when somebody's like, well, I want somebody athletic and attractive. But the idea being that, you know, dating and marriage, let's face it, it's very evolutionary, right? It's very driven about progeny and all of that. At, at some base level, attraction has got to figure in. And so when the whole fair and lovely debate and everything came out, you know, people, people say, well, it's still subjective. Just because you say you want somebody who's Vedish, like <laughs> Vedish for somebody is different than for another person. So I don't think that it's necessarily racist or unfair to say that you're looking for a certain type of body type or things like that. You're attracted to what you're attracted to. That being said, I don't use those as filters, right? I will never put somebody in a box that says you're slim, trim, or fair. That, that's mm -hmm. how I view it because it's so subjective. So when we talk about physical traits, the only kind of uh, objective metric I use is height because height is what it is. It's not gonna change. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be different in anybody else's eyes. Other than that, I let you, it's an open-ended question. I let you talk to me about what it is that you find attractive, what you're looking for. It's funny, so many people, guys and girls, end up always just saying, well, I'm attracted to personality. I'm not attracted yeah. to yeah. I was about to say, like, are people able to be honest? Because I think that was something I've had an issue with in the past. Like, I felt superficial, like, trying to say those things to somebody. Like, I didn't want to admit it out loud that I wanted yeah. these things. I always try to create a very warm and welcoming atmosphere and tell them that I'm not here to judge you. I'm, you know, be open and honest because your preferences are your preferences. And if you have that in your mind, that I want somebody who's 5'10 and, and has a six pack, you could tell me that you're open and this happens all the time. They're not honest with me. They start sending them profiles and they reject them. And I ask, that's fine. You don't have to accept everybody I send your way, but give me the feedback. Let me know why. And nine times out of 10, it's, I'm not attracted to them. I pull my hair out when they say that. Like, I gave you as much time as you wanted to tell me what you're attracted to. And you wanted to be all cutesy and, oh, I love personality and I don't care. <laughs> But then you waste, you waste your time and you waste my time because I then just 
time to put together this profile and I feel this truly a match for you. And then you reject it just based on pictures. So that one, in the beginning, I was like, okay, fine. I'll believe you when you say you're only into personality. But then more and more, this has been happening. I'm like, no, we, we got to get into the nitty gritty. But that leads into my next section. Then I also asked them about what are their previous dating experiences like? previous dating history and not because I'm here to be that judgy nosy auntie to be like how many times have you had sex with someone or things like that no 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 again mm -hmm. trying to keep it very open-ended uh, you volunteer as much information as you want but the idea being what are some of the trends that you've seen in your past dating life whether it be from the the looks perspective and that's when I start peeling out and they tell me oh he was also Gujarati like I'm Gujarati and that's what I'm looking for and they might have told me previously that they're open to ethnicity but I'm like okay no so we go through their previous dating history I understand that's also where I gauge their level of experience when we were talking about earlier dating to date and dating to mm -hmm. get married that's where I, a lot of my coaching and advice type stuff comes in is that okay, a lot of our South Asian culture, which is totally normal, we've never dated before, but we know we want to get married. Our parents are putting pressure on us. So that's when I talk to them a little bit more about, okay, you might not have had a dating relationship per se, but you say you're on the apps. Was there somebody in the app that you talked to for more than a couple of days that you felt there was something there? And then ultimately, why didn't it work out? Because that could still be an experience. It's still something that you learned. We all had crushes, right? Like in college and what, what happened with that crush? Ultimately, why didn't you pursue it? What was holding you back? This also opens up the conversation for maybe you need to talk to somebody a little bit deeper, um, you know, and get into a coaching relationship with somebody. I highly recommend getting into coaching or, a, you know, a therapist or something to help you kind of process those thoughts and feelings that you have. We don't have that open communication with our families all the time, being a busy American. I don't think we had that kind of growing up, that cathartic way to approach these topics that are so life-changing, like dating and, and marriage. So there's nothing wrong with having somebody to talk to. And yeah, that's great, actually. It's like a very interesting point that I haven't thought of myself, that you kind of need that additional... Mm -hmm. Like, I think Umabi brought it up earlier, right? Like, it's yeah. almost like you're getting a little bit of therapy <laughs> through this process. Basically. There's no harm in going to someone else, too. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, I'm just not able to dedicate that much time to coaching. Yeah, um, I will give advice as much as possible, and I'll try to give you my perspective on things. But there are amazing women out there, also South Asian, also Daisy American. You can, on our website, you can see we have a preferred coach that we work with. And it's not just questions around my dating experiences or things like that. I actually had one of my clients recently say that, you know, his parents are just not understanding why he's being so in their words, picky or selective. Mm -hmm. And he's actually going to work with a coach to have a conversation with his parents about why he's looking for certain criteria that they don't think is important and stuff mm -hmm. just to help, help have that conversation that he's just not able to have with his parents but having a neutral third party get involved. Part of this whole discussion is stigma about you're being too picky. It's, it's very interesting to see like other people have, you know, faced that same criticism too. And I think you hear it from your parents all the time. For them, it's like, he's educated, his family's good, you know, what's wrong? And they want you to make a decision based on a couple of criteria. And most of them, it could be because that's how they were married and that's how yeah, they Yeah, that's yeah. what worked for them. 
Yeah, I would always credit, and, and in my bio on my website, you'll see too, I come from a family, my parents had a love marriage, quote unquote, whatever that means, but it, you know, in the 70s in India, and so growing up, I always had that, my parents were very open-minded, like they were the ones who, if any of my cousins or extended family married outside of the Indian community, my parents were always the first ones to be like, that's okay, you know, they're in love, they know what they want for each other, they'll make it work. Or if there was a divorce in the community or something, my parents always approached it with that idea that, you know, that's fine. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or something happened, right? Ultimately, it's about the compatibility. And so I was very lucky. My brothers and sisters, we were all very lucky to grow up in a family where marriage was approached in a much different or more open mindset. That being said, they still have those traditional notions. So when I was getting married or looking to get married, I could feel that kind of pressure creep up more so from my mom. My dad was still very much stuck to his guns of like, you get married because you know everything else is going to work out, not just because it's time to get married. But because we were raised in such an open atmosphere, my sister and I were both able to push back on my mom too and have those good conversations. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that we were very lucky and not everybody has that experience. And so when they get to a later point in their life, when there are things that they dig in, like, no, these are some of the priorities I must have in my potential husband. How do you communicate that and explain that to your parents? Or, you know, especially if you live with them or now with COVID, there's, you know, you're back at home and you're hearing the same every single day. Why aren't you married? Why aren't you married? Why aren't you married? I recommend a family approach to coaching for sure. Like, I know you work directly with clients, but do you, like, do the parents get involved? Like, do you end up ever talking to people, like, clients' parents? And, like, do they have yes. a say in what's going on? <laughs> yes, often. The first interaction I have with the client is usually through their parents. Mm -hmm. They found me either, I advertise in some more older community targeting area. So, like, Suleika.com and some of print publications because I know that word of mouth is the best way to get my name out there or single to shabby out there. The first interaction I have, but I would say with about 50% of my clients is through their parents. And I explain the process to them. And then the parents are always like, well, my son is 32 and a doctor and he lives in Jersey and this is what he wants. And I'm like, awesome, auntie. I'm so happy for you. Have your son reach out to me. You can give me his email and I'll call him or things like that. I explained to her, while we are marriage focused and things like that, I work with the single individual themselves because I want to understand from their perspective what their priorities are, what they're looking for. So you do make sure that the individual themselves are interested. Absolutely. I do. Uh, I will talk to uncles and aunties all day long, but I will not accept a client based on their profile of him or things like that. So that's the first component where I interact with that generation. The second component is on the interview. Not so much the guys, but I've had multiple females with their mom on the mm. them. And I don't mind. I mean, you, people have a great relationship with their parents. Like I said, I have a great relationship with my parents. That's totally fine. But the way I ask questions and the, the detail that we get into and that history of your, you know, your experiences and things and what you're looking for. A lot of times I, I literally, I will never forget. I had one girl who we're going through and we get to that part and she's like, you know what? Picked up her laptop, walked out of the room, shut the door. was like, I don't want to talk about this with my mom around. <laughs> so I think that demonstrates, you know, how I really want to make sure that this experience and dating to get married is for you as a single individual. I know that your parents give you some background qualifications and that might be important to you, like it was for me. I wanted to marry a Gujarati guy, things like that. But 
there's other criteria that maybe your parents don't know about or don't want to talk about. And that's why I think that it's better to work one-on-one. If you want to incorporate your parents, that's fine. Third example of a client who every profile I send their way they have to show to their parents first. It's a guy. That's fine. That's totally fine. But in those instances, that's kind of when I'm like, all right, so let's bring it back. I actually did a mini interview with him again to be like, okay, thank you for sharing your preferences. But if, if this has to go through your parents' process, then can you tell me what it is that they are going to let, like get over that first hurdle or whatever, because then, you know, we're, we're not wasting anybody's time. And if you truly are going to have your parents vet every single match, then let's just get them on board from the beginning. So like that being said, what kind of like outlook would you say that a client needs to have if they're working with a matchmaker? How do you gauge seriousness besides, you know, asking about their goals and things like, you know, you don't want to end up talking to someone who's just going to keep rejecting every single client that you have. So how do you work with that? Yeah. So I would say the advice I would give is be open. So you approached matchmaking knowing it was different than mm-hmm doing with the apps, right? So part of it being different is that you need to maybe take my recommendation or because you trust me a little bit, have that initial conversation with that person. Don't just make the judgment based on the profile I presented. Understand why your father want me to meet this person and go from there, right? Have that openness to, okay, this is a new experience. Even though I originally would have rejected him if I saw him on an app, I'd be interested in maybe talking to him because Radha said I should. That'd be the first part of it. I think that People always ask me about my success rate. And in the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have any successful marriages under my belt. But the more that I looked at it, even Seema Auntie, I think she said it on the show, she has 176 successful marriages in 20 years. If you look at it over 20 years, okay, that's really only a couple, maybe five a year. So it's not like she's, and I've only been doing this for two years. So the fact that I don't have any marriages under my belt, I realized that it doesn't mean that I'm not successful. So I've reevaluated the success criteria. I looked at the idea that not everybody's approaching me knowing that they want to get married in three to six months, right? They're dating toward marriage. They're dating to figure out, is this person going to be the one? So for me, I'm now starting to gauge success. You know, are you getting to a second date? Are you, you know, getting out of the app to a first date? Because that's the kind of stuff that you're not getting yet. That's how I'm gauging my success right now. So realize that too. I had a couple of clients who were like, you know, Radha, we talked for a couple of weeks. We met in person. We decided this isn't going to work, but kudos to you. We were matching and compatible in so many different ways. And had I done this through an app experience, I would have wasted God knows how many hours. Or maybe that person wasn't even using apps. Not everybody has to be on apps. You know, maybe I'm, you know, introducing you to people that came to me through a different avenue. So that solidified to me the fact that they were happy with that first seed experience. I'm like, okay, this is successful then. This mm-hmm. success that's, looks like. That's actually a great way of looking at it. I guess like it's more of like a holistic approach that you're taking. And, you know, the end goal, while the end goal is marriage, I feel like there is some sort of growth that maybe like people do experience through yep. having to answer these questions and do some reflection themselves. And meet people so yeah Yeah, and I mean dating's supposed to be fun and like Mm -hmm. just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean that it wasn't successful you know you still Mm -hmm. had like a fun date with somebody or you had like a fun relationship whatever it was so I think that's a great way of looking at it 
Um, that being said, do you, do you have any clients who are still like seeing people that have met through your service? Like they may not be married still. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had three successful couples right now that are still there. Unfortunately are all along distance, but they have done FaceTime dates and all of that. And because of COVID it's harder to ch- travel to different cities, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, but they're still actively involved in doing FaceTime dates and like longer and longer dates and which is pretty cool. That's yeah. cool. And yeah. also another question, I think, you know, during our discussion, you mentioned this topic of divorce. So I thought, you know, I was just curious to see, do you actually have clientele who were divorced, who do come to you or with clientele who have kids, like anyone that yeah. kind of falls out of like your typical Thing that you would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I have clients who have been divorced, have divorced with kids, both male and female. I actually even have a widow. She's very young and it's like, I'm still, I'm ready to get back in the game. She's got kids. Um, I, and I actually, I love that because again, like I mentioned with my parents' outlook, we had an uncle who had, his wife passed away very, very young. And my parents were the first ones to be like, okay, you need to get remarried. Take your time, grieve. But you have the rest of your life ahead of you. There's so there, there, there's no reason why you can't find a love or compatibility or you know that relationship with somebody else just because something you did at age 25 didn't work out, right? So I also I would say maybe backing up to your previous question, I'd say be open minded. A lot of times I do ask, you know, are you looking? Would you be okay if somebody had been previously divorced? Would you be open to meeting them? And a lot of times it's like, well, no, my parents wouldn't like that. And that's kind of where I push you to be like, okay, your parents wouldn't like that, but is this something that if you met the most amazing person and yeah, they had a shitty marriage when they were in their twenties that something, you know, just didn't work out for whatever reason, is that a reason why you wouldn't want to fight for them? You know, is that a reason why you wouldn't want to, you, you would turn away the person who could possibly be with you for the next 50 years? I mean, and I don't push a lot on that. I know there's a lot of cultural nuances and stuff that, that are behind that, but there are so many successful second relationship stories out there and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's also one of the unique experiences being this American that we can continue to grow and, and cultivate in, in our world. You've mentioned how your brand and everything, like the reason that you started this company is because you wanted to cater to Desi Americans. So do you also work with people who have like different visa statuses, like people who've come from India, like more recently? As long as you're physically located in America, I will work with you. And during the interview, we actually talk about where you want to be long-term. And Mm -hmm. the idea, like, you have to be with the outlook that I want to stay in America long-term because that is kind of the mindset or that cultural identity that we're looking for and matching for. You know, there's a lot of people who come here for for college, they work a couple years and then they go back to India. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's just not what my clients are looking for. They want to be people who are are staying here. And because I am open to those statuses, I realized I'm creating like a, a secondary kind of clientele, if you will. So we've got that core group of people born and raised in America who are looking to only date people born and raised in America, or at least in America, citizen to citizen. But now I'm finding more so that people come over on H1 status or green card now, um, because they've gotten status through work, that are want to stay in America and also want to date with people who had a similar immigration experience because mm. something to be said about growing up in India, but then having a modern outlook about being an adult in America. And they also don't want to go back to India and get married because those people don't have the same experiences. They haven't experienced American culture or Western culture. And right. so 
I found that as a secondary group of people that are like, listen, it's okay if you don't match us with a citizen or whatever. I actually prefer someone who also has an H1 status or an L1 status because we have a similar upbringing. And so that really opened my eyes to be like, wow, just because you weren't raised in this country doesn't mean you don't want to have those same Western viewpoints and Western outlook in your relationship moving forward. And I love that. That was a huge eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I think like we've, you know, we have some friends who are um, in those situations and like they've told us they feel kind of like stuck, you know, like they don't really necessarily belong back home, but they don't really belong here. And I think it's, you know, comforting to find someone who's in the same situation as you But are. isn't that interesting, Priya? Because that's exactly what they see Americans always said, right? We're yeah. <laughs> comfortable at home. When we go to India, we always feel like the sore thumb. And then, you know, even here, we don't fit in quite here either. Why not approach it across both immigration statuses with that same idea that they're also looking for a home and and so are we so there's some commonality there too yeah I think like the way to make that work I think goes back to like the previous stuff that you said in the very beginning is like knowing what you want and figuring out your value system because I I think that's what matters the most yeah and if you get that down it doesn't really matter who you end up falling in love with. It could be someone yeah. who's Desi American. It could be someone who's born in India, but like came to work here, or it could be someone who's not Indian at all, actually. So yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be Indian or South Asian at all. No, but this is my platform is just for those people who are trying to date within the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like, um, and I relate to that actually, cause like in my early twenties, I was very set on like, okay, I'm only going to get married as U.S. citizen and then I think my dad had this college friend but they briefly lived in the U.S. and then they moved back to India and then their daughter came back for work and obviously my he was my dad's college friend so our parents forced us to hang out but she was like really cool and I was like wait she's like actually really cool like I would be open to dating like the guy version of her (laughs) so and that that was like my mindset in meeting my boyfriend now who like we're talking engagement and all of that so oh congrats how exciting Dipti oh my gosh that's awesome yeah just being I, I, I agree I think they get and this happens in all walks of life, right? You you feel a certain way, but then when you meet somebody who is of that experience or of that background, that's how people's minds change. And so I think college is very eye-opening. That's why I think dating around is very eye-opening. You never know until you've experienced it yourself sometimes. And um, there's nothing wrong with dating. So that makes sense. We know single Tishadi is like your baby. So how is it running a business, starting it from grassroots it is so much fun it is honestly the most fulfilling thing i've done my sister and i started a company a couple years ago it was basically cocktail line whatever and we thought that that was our entrepreneurial dream our vision that's fun it was fun it was a lot of fun drinking all those alcohol samples (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, blood, sweat, and tears, financially, emotionally, all of that, it just wasn't able to be successful. And so for the longest time for me, I'm like, I kind of felt guilty that we wasted so much time, money, and effort. And then I was kind of ashamed. Two people would always ask me about it. Like, oh, brother, we knew you were doing this. What happened? And to say over and over again, yeah, we didn't succeed. We folded the business. It hurt a lot. So when I got to this 
part, when I found this idea, the fact that I wanted to incorporate, like I'm an official LLC, it's a real business. I have people that work for me now. So to get to that first step, maybe it's just something that I'll do on the side. But then I realized that, no, I really like it. There's there's something here. There's, there's a service I'm providing. People are buying into it. And that's when I'm like, okay, this is a valid idea and I can, I, I, I deserve to see it through. It's okay that I had a failure in the past. It doesn't matter. And so that's how I started it. I enjoy it so much. It takes up a lot of my time because I'm so passionate about it. And again, I think too, this is where like my marriage comes in that we are just so supportive. He does help out a lot. He pitches in a lot and does shares all the responsibility a lot. Um, so that I need that support in order to make a business a business and i'm looking forward to you know the more that i network and the more that i meet people to see how that how do i pivot how does this turn into a full-fledged full-time thing for me where i can bring on even more people and and grow so i i see a future and i'm i'm loving every part of it yeah okay awesome well that was just really cool i like never even knew a service like this even existed and speaking to rada who it grew up Stacey American. It was just very interesting to like see her thoughts and like share her stories. Yeah, I was just wondering like what did you guys get away from this? Yeah, I mean overall I had a lot of fun talking to her. I think she has like really good advice. You know, she's been married for a long time. She's basically like seen all the different like avenues. Like she's, you know, seen like shadi.com. She's seen the app. She's talked to all these different people. So I definitely would trust her judgment if I were to use her service. So I think like, I'm definitely interested in trying it out. I think there's no harm. Like you don't have to pay anything unless you're actually going to meet the person. So no upfront fees or anything. And I like the idea of doing like an interview process where they really get to know you as a person. I think that's like personalized and that really helps and like makes me trust the other person. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought it was cool. Like I'm going to sign up. (laughs) <laughs> and I think other people should too. I really enjoyed speaking to Radha. I just feel like it is just crazy. Like some of the stuff that she said, the stories that she shared, it's just so interesting how like there's so much commonality between like different people's experiences and mm-hmm. dating relationships and marriage is like a huge topic. It's a huge topic for everyone. And I feel like in the Daisy community too, it's just it has its own interesting spin on it. And then in terms of like, if I would use this matchmaking service or not, I think it's very unique. There's a lot of pain points to be experienced in like using Dillmill or like shoddy.com or Barth Matrimony or Three Your Parents. Um, I think this does provide a little bit of a more unique solution to it. I, I probably would, but before I do sign up, I think I need to figure out if I like actually do want to do this like I don't want to be one of those people who you know show up confused or it ends up being like a therapy session for me (laughs) yeah it actually might but I think it's good to show up confused too because then you just hone in on what you want more oh yeah that is true the the (laughs) I think those questions (laughs) as she asks during the interview like really can bring out like, you'll find out during that interview if you're actually ready or not. Yeah, actually. Um, so, you know, even if you're on the fence, you know, if you're using Dill Mill or Coffee Meets Bagel or some other app, just give this a shot, too. So that's what I might be doing as well. So, Priya, I will follow your lead. <laughs>
that's a wrap for today's episode if you're interested in single to shoddy definitely use stacy american life as a code at sign up and rather will be happy to provide you with a free match and we're actually also doing corona pr part two and we'd love to hear your stories especially if you're dating someone new you started talking to someone and your submissions will absolutely be anonymous so we'd love to read them on a future episode you can find the link to submit your story in the episode description please continue to follow us on our socials facebook instagram our handle is daisy american pod and you can always email us at daisy american life at gmail.com thank you